This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Today, something really fun. I am still on hiatus until the end of the year. I will be back with a lot of great new programming that is already in the works. Uh, But for today, our guest host program continues, and the wonderful Shasti Conrad is helming once again. She is the chair of the King County Democrats, and she is joined by our friend Will Casey. Before I hand off, honestly, I I would just say right up front, I have not, I've I've intentionally unplugged from politics. And so I'm really not up on what is going on right now. And I have to tell you, I feel a lot better, but that's a different conversation. Uh, What we're going to be talking about today is, of course, the urine review. And and I I know it's just been a hell of a 48 hours. So I just kind of have to ask you, let's just, you know, before I hand off to you, Shasti, start with you. What were your reactions to to Manchin's basically Fox News declaration that he's just not going to get behind the, the Build Back Better program? I mean, you know, full of rage, um, but rage at all kinds of parts of this process because uh, we sort of knew that this was like, we, we've known for months that Mansion is this kind of, like, it's just, this is where we're at. And so it is frustrating that we are now at the end of the year and this is like where we're at. And it's frustrating that he went on Fox News and did it. Yeah. It's frustrating that progressives got sh- I'm just going to say it, you know, on for like the, you know, for, for the past year when they, you know, like, thank God for the progressive caucus saying like, we have to keep these bills together, but we're still here. And that is all of it just full of rage. Yeah. So we got an A-bomb, an S, almost an S-bomb in there. So that I think that is is very fitting in terms of, of where we're, we're all at and what we're feeling right now. Uh, Will, just your, your thoughts generally about uh, what just went down? Yeah, I was gonna say I feel like 2021 entirely deserves the like explicit tag uh, on, on the podcast feed, <laughs> but particularly the last 24 hours and 48 hours because I just think like we knew this was going to happen, right? And this is why everyone was so frustrated and you know like trying to be a straight shooter here, like our own, you know, Washington's own Pramila Jayapal. We love her for so many things, but uh, you know she held the torch there when she was just like, yeah, I believe in Joe Biden and. Senator Schumer's ability to deliver these votes when there was no reason to pass the, the the BIF. There wasn't. There was no timely reason. There was no deadline. It was not required. Like we could have just held on to this and the amount that Manchin was screaming and kicking and yelling about this at the time told you that it was actually working. Like they were like, oh no, Charlie Brown finally figured out how to play football. Um, <laughs> and instead, you know, we just got the same stuff that we've been, you know, getting used to for the last you know, 12, 14 years. And and really, I think like, this is just a, a, a case in, in point of sort of the, the struggle we've all been feeling this year of, you know, Biden failing to deliver on his promise of being able to actually conjure bipartisanship. You know, this is what he was supposed to be here for. Uh, and if not to keep Joe Manchin from going on Fox News to say, actually, I'm going to veto the entire president's agenda. Uh, what else are you supposed to do, man? You know, like that's, that's the president's job. It is a facepalm. Uh, and yeah, I, I agree with you that uh, 2021 definitely deserves the explicit uh, label. And uh, I have a special request for you, Shasti, and I know that I sent this to you. Uh, but some at some point in, in this conversation, I would really like you to work in some of the achievements of the Biden administration because they have been formidable. You know, you, the, the rescue package was passed. The relief package was passed. There, there were so many things. And, and the BIF was passed uh, for, you know, all of its thorny uh, political considerations aside. Uh, so those are I, I will just give a, a heads up to folks uh, for 2022, we're going to be leaning very heavily into messaging. Uh, and so stay tuned for that. Will, you don't know this, but I'm going to lean on you for that, brother. So with that, All I'm right. going to hand things over to you officially, Shasti. So uh, take it away. 
Thanks so much, Stefan. Um, and, you know, before we go into our year in review, I do think we also have to acknowledge some local news, which is that uh, Washington State Senator, Republican Senator, uh, Senator Doug Erickson passed away from COVID. Uh, we heard the news yesterday. And, um, you know, we, of course, send our condolences to his family. He leaves behind a wife and two daughters. It's always sad when somebody dies and, you know, all of that. But he was an anti-vaxxer. He was a COVID denier. He looks like he contracted COVID by going down to El Salvador to go oversee um, the election down there because he has also been one of the biggest um, promoters of election fraud um, uh, propaganda and uh, was flown by a wealthy donor to Florida to get out of El Salvador. He requested um, that folks send down, what was it? Uh, mono Monoclonal antibodies. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so, you know, like, look, it's, again, terrible, but I think we just have to acknowledge just this disgusting, awful rhetoric is is leading to people dying. And it just seems like the craziest strategy um, for the Republicans to let their base die. Um, I don't know, Will, what do you think? Well, I mean, I just want to start out by saying, uh, as someone, you know, who lost my, my dad when I was young, um, I have no end of empathy for you know his his daughters and what they're going through and you know I think that there's a certain amount of like grotesque gallows humor that comes with you know seeing someone sort of get their comeuppance but at the same time like I think we can't ignore the fact that his advice and his statements as a public official have led a lot of other families to be missing parents in the last year and a half and that didn't need to happen it didn't all of this could have been avoided like this was entirely a crisis and a tragedy of our own making um, and largely because of people like him. And so while I have a lot of sympathy and empathy for his, his, his family and what they're going through, I will not, you know, uh, be caught shedding a tear for Doug Erickson because, um, you know, this is not a man whose legacy that anyone should be proud of. Uh, and, you know, even before the pandemic, you know, you cited to his, uh, you know, the ever-present um, footnote of his career, which is, you know, getting paid $500,000 by the dictatorship in Cambodia to bless their elections. And it looks like this was, you know, a similar situation that he may have been involved in down in El Salvador. So, um, you know, not someone uh, whose career leaves much to, uh, you know, reflect upon uh, positively anyway, but, you know, that doesn't mean we can't have some sympathy for the people in his family who are suffering. Exactly. Stephanie, you want to weigh in? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm still on, gang. <laughs> I'm just kind of looking in the shadows as I record this. Yeah, I'll echo what Will had to say, and, and that is uh, essentially that, you know, this is a hard moment, especially for his family, but um, it was entirely avoidable. And, you know, these are the sorts of things that I keep hoping are going to land with Republicans as a wake-up call to say, look, this is very, very serious. And, you know, this is not, this is not a moment to, uh, to, to fall into conspiracy thinking. This, this is really a life and death issue. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's not good news uh, no matter how you slice it. Yeah, exactly. That, that is my hope is that maybe there will be at least a few people who are following um, Senator Erickson, you know, who will sort of see it as a wake up call. Um, and I think that's, you know, if, if there is any, maybe anything you could take from it, that's, that's the hope there. Um, okay, well, thank you so much. Um, all right, we're gonna move into 
our year-end review, which um, I have to say uh, was quite a up and down year. Um, and I think it's really framed by, you know, in January, we had an insurrection and an inauguration. Um, and that really feels like those two pillars really set the tone for the rest of the year. Um, so, you know, Will, when we look back in January of 2021, January 5th, uh, late night, we get the results that we win both of the um, Senate seats in Georgia. And without having really any time to celebrate and be excited about that, by the next day, we have a full on insurrection that is just still, we are still grappling with. Um, and so, what do you, I mean, we're failing to grapple with, as the case we're may failing. be. Yep, yep, exactly. Um, what, what are your memories of January um, of a year ago? Oh my God. I mean, it seems, it seems like so, so, so long ago to, to think that it was only 12 months. Um, I, yeah, I think that was a stark uh, contrast because uh, I was, you know, uh, doing my best to travel safely during the holidays and had gone down to volunteer um, on the, the runoffs there. And so, you know, to have, to, to have both of those races go our way was, you know, uh, a sign of what we hoped at the time was going to be a very hopeful new year. And um, ultimately, you know, responsible for a lot of progress. I know we're going to touch on the, uh, you know, uh, American Rescue Plan that was passed, and, and that certainly would not have happened without, um, you know, Senators uh, Ossoff and Warnock. Um, and, you know, at the same time, I think the insurrection and sort of the immediate aftermath was also a weird time capsule to look back on and think, like, this was a moment when we thought, like, perhaps Republicans would come together. I mean, I've said no shortage of very, uh, I would say, harsh but deserved things about Jamie Herrera Butler on this podcast and elsewhere. Um, and to see her, you know, like, uh, follow up the insurrection by voting for Trump's impeachment was, you know, like, reassuring. I'll give her that. Um, and yeah, I think it was really, in a strange way, a cathartic moment, because it was simultaneously horrifying and something that a lot of folks, I think, never imagined would happen here. But at the same time, you know, an undeniable presentation of the stakes that we're facing, right? And uh, for a hot second there, it looked like, you know, perhaps the whole country was gonna come together and take that seriously. Right, I mean, I know for me, and I think for a lot of people, I really feel like January 6th is like that, that sort of line in the sand where it's like, if you're still siding with the Republicans and you're not willing, then you are anti-democracy. And if you're not gonna hold these people accountable, I mean, I would thrilled to see that there were some Republicans who were willing to hold Trump accountable, but that support, you know, waned pretty quickly. And, you know, we're still seeing how that fallout plays out now, um, where we're getting even further uh, right, sort of uh, far right folks that are now challenging those Republicans who um, tried to hold Trump accountable and are saying, you know, those aren't, that's not the real Republican party. We are, we stand with like what, what the instructions are. So, um, the positive thing from the inauguration, it was a beautiful, uh, you know, day and we had Bernie's mittens and Amanda Gorman. And so, you know, there was some of that, but wow, what a way to kick off 2021. Um, as we headed into February, uh, to remind folks, that was when there was that horrible cold snap in Texas. And we had the infamous photo of Ted Cruz uh, heading off to Mexico and Cancun and leaving his constituents behind. Um, we also, Rush Limbaugh died uh, in February and um, the stimulus package did pass, but with basically zero GOP support. So February was also 
quite the month. Um, Will, anything you remember from from that? Yeah, I remember. I I remember being um, in a hotel room on the hall the Valentine's Day weekend, like just my eyes glued to CNN to decide like if the president was going to be impeached or not. I think that's going to be the flashbulb moment for me uh, for that you know period of the year for the rest of my life. Um, and yeah, it was it was one of those moments of you know kind of shaking your confidence uh, in, in the overall system. Um, but I will say, and, and, I, and I will, you know, rightly kind of, I think, focus some of my frustrations over the years, um, major events on, on sort of the lack of follow through on the part of the people we work so hard to elect. But um, I do want to just make sure we, you know, table set appropriately here. I mean, like, if we lose democracy in this country, it's going to be because the Republican Party as an institution failed, yes. right? Like that is, it does, you know, it takes two to tango and for somebody to say like, no, actually, I don't care about, you know, continuing this uh, game. I don't care about trying to work together. I don't care about any of the people you represent. And I don't care about any of the people I represent who didn't vote for me. Like that is, uh, I mean, like everything for the last, I don't know, it seems like 20 years, the Republican party, you know, everything they say about us is what they're really saying about themselves. Um, and I think that was on, you know, display and no better point than when you just had, you know, cowardly senator after cowardly senator and the Republican caucus refused to, you know, vote to impeach. So, um, yeah. and refused to help us through the rest of the, you know, the tail end of the uh, unvaccinated portion of the, the pre-vaccine portion of the pandemic. Um, that was just, you know, uh, inexcusable dereliction of duty. So, you know, uh, I was very proud to see all of the folks that we had worked so hard, especially, you know, Warnock and Ossoff, like, bring that across the, the finish line in the uh, in the Senate for the ARP. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, as mad as we are at Manchin, we cannot take away the fact that there are 50 other senators who continue to not be willing to do what is best for their constituents, to come to the table, to try to work on trying to make uh, this country better. And so, you know, I think that is a real problem. Um, in March, we had uh, one positive thing is that uh, Secretary uh, of Interior Deb Holland was confirmed first indigenous uh, woman ever to be uh, a, a secretary in an administration. And so that was really thrilling and exciting. Um, we also had the Suez Canal fiasco and that, you know, a picture of the meme of, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the ship being- I had actually forgot about what that was when you put it in the rundown and to remember the boat that went sideways for sex yep. days. And that was our, yep. we thought that was a supply chain challenge. Um, right. That was, yes, that was, it was a nice moment of levity. How naive we were, yeah. Um, and then, you know, also uh, we had the uh, AAPI hate crimes were uh, acknowledged um, and were escalating um, around the country, but also here in Washington state. We had the murders that happened in Atlanta and, you know, rightfully so there was this um, spotlight, which I think unfortunately didn't last as long as it should have on the fact that there has been um, Asian American discrimination in this country for since the beginning of time, but that particulate is it has grown during um, the pandemic. And, you know, so I think that that was a big moment that um, brought the AAPI community together, but certainly um, we need to keep reminding folks of, of the fact that that is very real and continuing. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that stands out to me from March really was just how desperate it feels to try and just like just to try and feel to figure out any solution 
to try and like, you know, bring down this violence, right? Because it does feel like you're kind of shouting into a void or arguing with a wall um, because you're trying to, you know, convince people who by definition, if they're willing to commit murder, have lost all sense of logic and, you know, connection to reality to, you know, want to continue to be part of our society. And that's seems like an impossible task, but I do think that, uh, you know, if, if folks haven't listened to them, um, you know, you definitely should scroll back through the feed here. Um, some of the best work that I think has ever happened on this show um, was immediately in those aftermath. I think we brought on some incredible voices who just did. Um, yes, yeah, Senator Wynn and yes. now um, newly elected uh, Port Commissioner Toshiko Hasegawa. Yeah. One of the favorite conversations I think um, I've ever done uh, on this podcast and folks should definitely take a look at that one again. Yes. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, in April, the hits kept coming, um, which is we had the Matt Gates uh, a child sex trafficking allegations came out, which he's still there. He's still in the house. He's still doing his thing. Um, we had we had a, a, a guilty verdict um, in the Derek Chauvin trial, which was uh, one moment where we felt like maybe there was something um, where we could hold people accountable. But dot, dot, dot. A couple months later, that would turn out to not be the case. Um, Delta variant surged um, and uh, really also demonstrated as it hit particularly countries like India um, that really vaccines needed to be available to the entire world. And that was, I think, uh, a failure on, on our part here in America and not making them more accessible. Um, uh, Lauren Culp, our old buddy from uh, last year, who has uh, continued to be in, you know, uh, touting the election fraud allegations and uh, generally a real kook uh, declares he's running for Congress and we'll uh, see how that one's going. He's uh, still running. Um, we had full vaccine eligibility in Washington state. Um, I was fully vaccinated by that point. And I remember I was able to actually like travel for the first time in like a, a year plus and, you know, it had been, it was really nice to um, get out for a little bit and, um, feel safe too. I remember it was really emotional when my mom got the vaccine and really feeling like maybe I had been able to help keep her safe uh, through all of this. Um, but again, dot, 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 here we still are. It's still going. Um, and, uh, and then we had um, uh, legislation to ban um, weapons um, and demonstrations that was going through Washington state. And that was because of the um, armed conflict and like the proud boys and three presenters who um, have been protesting at the Capitol. And, um, and yeah, and we had a great session that ended where there were sweeping police reforms um, and a lot of really positive progressive legislation, including the capital gains tax that passed in large part because of the great work that we had done in 2020 to elect um, mostly really wonderful black women um, and really some solid progressives. So Will, memories from April? Yeah. Uh, so personally, I will just say uh, I also got to volunteer at a you know mass vaccination site. And that I think is probably the most hopeful I've felt since March of 2020 was just being there, directing people, you know, seeing everyone showing up to do their part to like keep our community safe and healthy um, was one of those very rare moments, especially since we haven't been able to do in-person events where you can kind of feel the, uh, you know, inherent goodness of most of the people around you, you know, which is harder and harder to focus on these days when we're so stuck on, you know, online platforms that are designed to, you know, keep us angry. So um, I think that the, you know, broader picture, I, I, I think this actually does have a good lesson for us as we head into 2022, that we accomplished so much in the past couple of years because 
Democrats in the state legislature really did seize the moment, right? Like we have led on a lot of policy areas here in Washington state. And if you're feeling, you know, bummed out or pessimistic, or just like, there's only so much rage donating you can do against Joe Manchin's primary opponent, or, you know, please don't donate to West Virginia primary challengers. Um, but like, you know, uh, actual competitive campaigns in you know Georgia and Florida and other uh, you know flip Senate seats, then get involved in the short session, right? Because this is going to be a part in the cycle when our Democratic leaders really need to hear from the folks who got them elected to hold the line. Because after you know some disappointing elections here in Seattle this past November, I know we'll probably touch on that later, um, and also sort of the stuff in in Virginia's um, you know general election. There's going to be a you know punditocracy consensus to try and go small and start to walk back, you know, some of these uh, programs, they're already doing this with the, you know, long-term cares tax, although that's more, it seems like a policy design issue because it was a, a novel program more than like a uh, lack of commitment. Um, this is going to be a pressure, right? Like there's good, and in terms of getting new stuff done in a 60 day session, it's always going to be a challenge. People are thinking about redistricting. Now is the time, like now until March, when you really need to be texting every legislator you've knocked doors for, you've met at a fundraiser, or you've written a check to, you know, send them emails. So, and I think that like tying this back to April, that's how we got all those wins, right? Was that people stayed involved. Like this was the most active uh, legislative session ever for people testifying. And yep. it's, you cannot separate the fact that this is the most that people have heard um, in the legislature from like regular family, like, you know, working people. Uh, and the fact that we got the best policy that we've had in a long time, right? Like yeah. those two things are very much connected. So absolutely. Yeah. And it's a short session, um, you know, in 2022, but I do know that they are going to include a remote testimony um, options and folks should absolutely stay involved and make sure that we get some good things done in this session as well. Um, so in May, we had filing week, which I always is like one of my favorite times because it's like you get to see all these great candidates stepping forward and running. Um, in King County, we had 340 offices filled with people running out of 343. And so I was really proud that we were able to get people running and, you know, running every race and um, really awesome candidates stepping forward. And so I just absolutely love filing week. It's the third week of May every year. And it's always just such a great proud moment to see who's stepping up and saying, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to put myself forward and help my community. Um, we uh, also had uh, the UN declare that there was a code red for humanity on the climate crisis. Um, mm -hmm. And that, you know, it was, uh, it was met with pretty resounding thought of inaction. There wasn't much that it moved people. Um, I don't know. I was watching SNL last night and they were doing a like recap show. And there was a sketch from 30 years ago that was talking about global warming. And it was like, could have been done today. And it was like, wow, here we are. Um, uh, and so, you know, that, that happened in May. Um, we did have the Tacoma police officers were charged with the murder of Manny Ellis. Um, again, like you know, we, we look for those moments of accountability um, in the criminal justice system and when especially we're able to hold police accountable. Um, and so that was positive. Um, and then uh, we had also but a continuing filibuster of the Republicans for the January 6th commission. So those are some of my memories from May. How about you? 
Um, I mean, I think like, yeah, getting a chance to see everyone run for office, especially, you know, now that I've been doing this for a little while and sort of know some of the names on the ballot, you know, individually seeing them kind of rise in their careers um, uh, as, as activists has been, you know, very, very exciting. I think it's, you know, calling back to the core mission of Indivisible of, you know, the best thing you can do is run for office and seeing so many people sort of volunteer to take that on is, is just absolutely, um, you know, just inspiring. Um, and then I think, you know, on the climate front, I think the thing that really stands out to me in all of these conversations is just uh, how fixated we get on, and for good reason, um, on like the top line issues, right? Like, you know, it is absolutely devastating that we're not going to get the funding rolling that we need from like this, uh, you know, the, the uh, Build Back Better plan. Um, before 2022. That being said, um, something that I forgot to comment on a couple of, uh, you know, sections ago was how I really have been impressed uh, with the Biden administration's choice of personnel for a lot of these, you know, behind the uh, scenes, um, you know, jobs. I mean, not that, uh, you know, cabinet secretary is a behind the scenes job. Obviously, Deb Holland is uh, a leader and a, a, a just phenom in her own right. But, um, even going down to you know people who are on the economic council, people who are working in the White House, people who are staffing these agencies, um, you know you always hear in politics that personnel is policy, and like those choices, I think have been very encouraging, right? And so you know just along the theme of people stepping up to you know to serve their community and to, to take that next um, leap in sort of public service, um, I think that we should also you know. Um, recognize that. I don't know that there's particularly a month that it makes sense to talk about it in, but that's also happened in sort of judicial nominations as well, right? Yeah, we should them. definitely give, we should definitely give a shout out. Um, I was going to do it at the end of this year, but okay. like, yes, you're right. Like 40, um, 40 judges have been confirmed um, this year, which is the most that we've ever had done since I think like the Reagan era. Mm -hmm. um, we should give a shout out to Washington uh, son, um, Gautam Raghavan, who was just named last week as a director of presidential personnel. Um, and awesome. uh, Gautam grew up in Kent and was Pramila Jayapal's chief of staff several years ago. I worked with Gautam when we were in the Obama administration together and he's just such a wonderful human. So it's been awesome to see um, the choices that the Biden administration has made in hiring incredibly talented and diverse folks into really key roles um, in the administration. and and that is something that I think we all can feel really proud about. Yeah, for sure. Um, so in June, we had a glimmer of hope because the COVID-19 restrictions were lifted. Um, we were able to be fully open for a while there. Um, and, uh, you know, the numbers had gone down of number of people in hospitals. And, you know, it really was, I remember it was like, it was going to be like hot girl summer, right? And then <laughs> And then it wasn't quite that, um, but uh, you know, we thought hopeful, we were hopeful for a minute there. Um, I do remember the incredible heat wave that we had that month. Um, I think, didn't it get up to like 108? Yeah, I thought it was early July, but it was all the same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, was it, yeah, was it early July? Um, Being a flirty without, uh, you know, air conditioning, it was, it was quite a... <laughs> experience I know I really was like we've got to do something about all of that uh, my mom and I had to like move into a hotel that was just like it was we couldn't it was horrible um so yes yeah, so that that summer was really rough um Inzy rolled out the joints for jabs and they were getting trying to incentivize there was that lottery where like someone could win a million dollars if they had their vaccine um 
uh, record. Uh, so there was a lot of trying to get people to to get vaccinated. Um, and, you know, our numbers in particularly in King County have always been high for vaccinations. And that's something that I do feel really proud of. It's nice. I've traveled a little bit in some of these other states. And it's been really nice to feel like you know, I'm around other people who believe in science, who believe in vaccinations, who believe in testing, like that. Um, I'm really glad to live in this community um, because of that. So, um, all right. So June, we went into July. Um, July, we had uh, <laughs> Jeff Bezos um, launching into space. Um, and wow, you know, like, could can you read a room, buddy? Like, really, like, we're all... <laughs> We're all dying here down on this planet and you're like hey i know where i can go um, also can i just say i don't even know what it would like what it would be like on a day-to-day -day basis to be so rich that you can design that first of all you can make the choice that i'm gonna just like in the middle of all this climate disaster i'm gonna choose to emit tons and tons and tons and tons of more carbon into the atmosphere well, everyone else is like sweating and dying of heat exhaustion. So I can go on a tourism ride, basically like a roller coaster for one person. Like that's what we did here. Yep. And he's so rich that no one in a meeting with him the entire time they were designing this thing was like, Jeff, everyone's going to say that your rocket looks like a penis. <laughs> right. That's the joke. It's going to be a huge right. joke. Everyone's going to be laughing at you. And like not a single person in any room he was in was just like, maybe not. That's when you, I know, that's when you know you're in the wrong rooms. Like, like someone, you have really isolated yourself when you're surrounded by a bunch of yes people who don't check you. Yeah. The other thing I remember that was so horrible was he like thanked the Amazon employees in the middle of mass customers. In customer, we all had a bargain. Massive Amazon worker strikes that were happening across the country. And, you know, they were actively like union busting yep. and or pre preventing the unionization of their workers horrible working condition stories were coming out and he's like hey i'm off to space like thanks and i know this is what you all want and it's like no buddy we want we want safe working conditions and and better pay and like a living wage like what the hell anyway all right enough but um it was just whew. all right so um so that happened um we had the first hearing of the january 6th commission back in july um we had uh the um well, can we pause on that just for a second yeah go ahead. because i think the january 6th commission uh is one of those moments where like you really do have to take a step back and like just appreciate how good at her job nancy pelosi is because somehow we still ended up with a bipartisan you know commission despite the fact that no republican on the panel is actually like a big lie supporter right like we have what should be credible voices. Um, and I just think it's telling how thin the veneer um, of the right wing sort of like propaganda machine is that they've had to spend so much time and so much effort um, and so many dollars, frankly, in terms of like, you know, just airtime uh, discrediting Adam Kingsinger and Liz Cheney, who are reprehensible people for their own, you know, other choices. But in this one instance, you know, we can be allies. Uh, and so I just think that like calling McCarthy's bluff on sort of like moving forward with that making sure that it got subpoena power, like those were all very like sort of in the weeds wins on her part, but like just goes to show you when you call the Republicans bluff and you force the hand when you actually have the power, you can do whatever you want. Yes, definitely. Um... 
so yeah, as we headed into August, we had the we had August primary, um, which definitely was a pretty interesting <laughs> results. We had, um, I think it definitely at least for certainly for Seattle showed the polarization in the city. Um, you know, our more sort of middle of the road candidates didn't make it through, like Pete Holmes. Um, we were left in the city attorney's race, which Will and I were became very familiar with later on in the year. Um, we were left with a Trump Republican, Ann Davidson, and a abolitionist um, in Nicole Thomas Kennedy. Um, you know, we uh, were Bruce Harrell and Lorena Gonzalez uh, running for mayor. And, you know, we had uh, fairly, you know, on sort of track um, records for turnout for the primary, but certainly we were hopeful that it would end up, you know, more people would be engaged. But again, I think making the case that odd year elections are really challenging and the August primary is really challenging. Um, and, and so, you know, again, I'll always be putting in that, that plug to try to move these things and change them. Um, we had a March for Voting Rights that was taking place um, um, nationally. And then we had uh, out in New York, uh, former Governor Andrew Cuomo um, finally left office after um, resounding allegations of sexual harassment were found to be true, and um, and uh, New York ended up with their, uh, I believe, their first female governor. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, another uh, crazy month. Um, Will anything from that from the end of the summer? Oh, I, I just want to echo your point on. Um, I think we really need to start pushing very hard locally on like just from a good governance perspective, um, why odd your elections are pointless, right? Like I would much rather have a longer ballot like every other year than have to vote every single year. Um, and in a state like ours that has actually shown how to get 85 plus percent turnout in a general election, um, you know, it's frankly like inexcusable that we continue to do this. Right? Like, how can you claim that the results of your election are like the representation of the will of the people if half the people don't vote? And in some places, you know, you can say, oh, those people are making a choice not to participate. And it's like, except what you're telling me is like half of our voting populace just chooses to, for some unintelligible reason, only participate in federal elections. Like they don't care who their mayor is. Um, and that's just not the case. And also for, for, you know, just for other good governance reasons, right? Like it would keep people from staying in one office to run for another, which we saw a lot of this year, you know? Um, and we are now seeing with Reagan Dunn running for <laughs> Congress. Um, and so, you know, if you don't like career politicians, if you want to, you know, make elections more competitive, if you want elections to be a better representation of the will of the people, if you just want it to be easier for, for people to participate in democracy, like these are all like perfectly valid, you know, nonpartisan reasons why we just don't need out your elections. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I heard when I was canvassing, you know, both for the primary and in the general, so many people being like, wait, I have to vote again, but I voted last year. What do you mean? I didn't hear it. Like no one was talking about the election. And so, you know, I just think that the apparatus is not there. Like it is in even years when you have um, every level of government, you know, that is, and, you, and so you get it. Every news station is talking about it. Every outlet, mm -hmm. you have the state party involved, all of that. You just don't have that in these odd years. And um, we need it. We need it. We need, uh, you know, the efforts we put in 2020, I'm sorry, but we got to do it every year for every election. And it would be nice if it was every two years and not every single year. But also um, just from like a, you know, racial justice perspective, like 
the people who work on these progressive campaigns, we don't get paid very well, right? And like uh, a lot of these folks are coming from communities that are historically marginalized because they're tired of being left behind. And a lot of the organizers that I, uh, you know, was proud to meet and, and work with this year would much rather spend the odd year uh, actually holding their elected officials accountable for whether or not mm -hmm. they follow the policy through mm -hmm. because there's not like a glut of people who pay attention to this stuff, right? right? Like there's only so many volunteers. And if we have to be knocking doors every single year, that's time we can't be spending, you know, actually, you know, Governing. advocating for our you right. Know, interests. Right. So. Exactly. Yep. Um, all right. So then we had, we headed into, uh, uh, into the fall. I was trying to remember there was some ta like uh, tagline for the fall. I think it was probably like just COVID autumn. Um, but we had uh, in September, we had major forest fires that were raging um, throughout the West coast, but particularly you know, here up in uh, Canada and California, um, we had uh, those horrible photos came um, where there were Haitian migrants who were trying to escape to the United States. Um, and you saw the uh, US Border Patrol on horses, like whipping and rounding up. I mean, those, those images are just like seared into my brain. Um, and those folks still need help. So um, Haitian Bridge is a great organization if people are looking for um, little things to give to at the end of this year. They're a great org that are still helping um, Haitian um, immigrants. Um, the horrible uh, uh, Texas legislation um, uh, basically repealing Roe versus Wade in, within um, Texas, and in fact, um, making it so even helping someone uh, to receive an abortion was a now a criminal act. Um, that, you know, I think set off again this like, we have to stay diligent all of the time and we have to always keep women's rights and reproductive rights um, in the center of these conversations. I think it really was chilling though. I think a lot of people really have been terrified ever since. That was, I know for me, a real moment of like, this really feels like we are in a pretty massive backslide towards fascism. Um, and it has felt like that for years, but this is really like Handmaid's Tale coming to life and it, it feels that way. Um, and, uh, and, and so, yeah, so it was, a, it was a rough, intense month um, and we were gearing up also for the, you know, general election, but Will, anything from September? I mean, for me personally, it's this entire year, one of the major things that I will always stand out for me is, is that this is when we watched Roe v. Wade get repealed, right? Yep. Um, and, and I wanna be very clear about that um, for a couple of reasons. As an attorney it, and a press person, it infuriates me when you see lawyers writing in, you know, major publications in a way that common people who have not been to law school cannot understand, um, because this is incredibly important stuff and it affects people's rights on the ground in a lot of places where good quality information is very hard to get, right? Um, and so I want to be clear when I'm not just like casually tossing this around, right? Like, Roe v. Wade itself like hasn't been overturned in a judicial opinion, but that's not what you should be caring about. And that is sort of the line that way too many of these like mainstream legal analysts have been sort of like, well, actually, you know, the opinion hasn't been rendered yet. And it's like, no, if, if you were going to uphold Roe v. Wade, it is not hard to understand how you would do it in this case. You should immediately just stay the law, right? Anything else aside from granting an emergency stay that says basically this law is unconstitutional and no one can enforce it, is allowing Roe v. Wade to be overturned. Whether that's for six weeks, whether that's for, you know, six months or 12 years, right? Like 
they had an opportunity to protect women's rights in the moment. And this is one of the things that I will say, an all male Supreme Court got right in the initial uh, Roe v. Wade case when they were like, this case can't be moot because we have to rule on it now because if we wait six months to hear it, the baby will be born, right? Like this is not a thing where we have the luxury of like going through litigation. This is something that affects people like literally on the daily um, and the just like complete lack of empathy from the Supreme Court and frankly, from like the broader legal movement to not validate those concerns um, and to, you know, center the suffering that is being inflicted upon these people um, is just very disappointing. Yeah, definitely. Um, that one I think will like go down as one of the biggest moments uh, of this past year. Um, okay, October, it was uh, all like, at least in my world, it was all canvassing all the time. Um, at King County Democrats, we carried out 13 canvases across the county. Um, will and I were uh, fully emerged in the Nicole Thomas Kennedy race, trying to help her win. Um, and, you know, we were doing everything we could to try to get the vote out and try to get people um, to pay attention to what we were just talking about, people to vote. Um, and uh, there was also that horrible Kathy Lambert uh, ad um, where she, um, it was racist, it was xenophobic, it was anti-Semitic, it um, featured, we did a whole show on it um, where we talked about, it featured um, her colleague, uh, well, not her former colleague, because she's no longer there, um, council member Germay Zahle, and, um, uh, and then uh, Bernie Sanders and Shama Sawant and tried to um, say that, you know, Sarah Perry was going to be this, you know, super extremist um, person that was in with, you know, all these horrible people. And thank God it backfired, um, rightfully so. It completely backfired. Um, within like about 24 hours, we were able to mobilize. Um, county council never has called out one of their own. They generally have a, um, a sort of, you know, internal rule that they, they just, they don't campaign against each other. They stay pretty collegial so they can get the work done. And for the first time, they, um, they basically censured her. They stripped her of her committee um, uh, positions and they were just like, you crossed a massive line. Um, and so she can't, Lambert lost, um, you know, donors. She lost endorsements. I mean, the realtors turned against her, the mariners turned against her, like, you know, um, rightfully so, and which led to uh, a real uh, wonderful win in November, which was Sarah Perry flipping that seat and becoming um, our new uh, county council member for District 3, which was so uh, fantastic, and we're super proud of her. Um, her swearing-in is on Tuesday, so I'm just super excited about all of that. Um, and so, yeah, so October was just a really intense campaigning month. Um, and Willie, you and I spend a lot of time together um, in that race. Uh, anything you want to add for October? Oh, just that, like, uh, if you haven't somehow, because he's literally, I think, everywhere at all times, um, doing all the things. If you haven't met uh, Gurmai Zahalai yet, uh, your life is worse off for that. And you should correct that situation as soon as possible. Um, start by following him on, on social. Uh, he's a great, you know, Instagram presence. Um, very, you know, joyous doing the work, which is something that I think a lot of us can use these days. Um, and then I also just say, uh, let's make sure we keep a scorecard of all those people who were very, very upset in public and were very, you know, pleased and excited to get pats on the back for doing literally the bare minimum um, the next time that, you know, we actually have a budget up and uh, they want to cut some funding for Skyway, right? Like, let's make yep. sure that we're not just supporting Gurmai when he's being the target of uh, these attacks, but like in his day-to-day -day work, because he's doing amazing stuff. You know? 
I'm super proud. It's a December highlight for me, but uh, Garmaya and I were both named to the Seattle Mets 100 most influential list um, for for politicos and um, super proud to to be associated with him and so glad that um, he is where he's at for sure. Um, okay, November. Um, so we had our election, spent most of that month um, waiting for election results. Always a good reminder that, you know what, we have to, we have to expand our frame from election night into election week plus. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we had our Friday night bounce party on Friday night of election week to remind people that a lot of times the progressive, the pro- progressive votes come in late. And so we oftentimes don't get the bump for our progressive candidates until more towards the end of the week. Um, you know, it was definitely a real sort of wild election results. Um, Seattle, most of our progressives lost, um, but we had wonderful wins with Toshiko Hasegawa and Hamdi Mohammed winning um, sort of their port commission seats. We um, got a majority, BIPOC majority, progressive majority on SeaTac City Council. We got a progressive majority on Sammamish City Council. Carmen Rivera won her seat in Renton. Hugo Garcia um, won his seat in Burien. And so all of those were really exciting, wonderful wins that just give me all kinds of hope. I got asked the other day at a dinner party, like, what gives you hope? And I was like, all of these amazing people. Um, We were able to get them across the finish line. So that was really exciting in November. Um, We had a a, a, a humbling uh, verdict in Kyle Rittenhouse being found not guilty, watching that trial, watching that corrupt judge um, who just, you know, clearly baked in from the beginning. Um, And already Kyle is like, got speaking engagements at like APAC and, um, and, you know, it's just, uh, anyway, just disgusting. Um, But a couple days later, uh, the murderers of Ahmad Arbery were found guilty. Um, So, you know, we just have to stay in this work. Um, And then we also had the announcement of the redistricting mess um, that basically we're still sort of in this um, world fiasco. Um, And so November was a very uh, full month of uh, all kinds of ups and downs. Will, we've only got a few minutes left, but um, any quick reflections on November? Um, I would just say, I think that like to echo your point about what, you know, gives me hope these days is really that like all of these progressive candidates when they're running in these smaller races, I think it's really interesting to, uh, it gives you a much better sense of what people are, where people actually are, um, rather than some of these more, you know, higher profile races, which seems kind of counterintuitive because you're getting smaller sample sizes. But when you look at these races sort of across the county and a collective level, this is, these are races where like most people will meet the candidate, right? Like if they're out there knocking doors and I know our candidates were, and that's how they won. Um, you know, it's not as if progressive ideas or, you know, the very principle that we could actually solve some of our biggest problems um, is, intimidating or overwhelming to people, right? Like what happens is like what we saw uh, in the city attorney's race, when you dump uh, millions of dollars in advertising to convince people of half truths, uh, then, you know, you end up with a warped result. And so I think that like, if you wanna get a sense of where the people are or what the sort of pulse of the county is, um, those races that you listed are think, I think a lot better reflection um, rather than some, you know, unbalanced conversation where you had hundreds of thousands of dollars of advertising on one side and very little on the other. Right, definitely. Um, Yes, okay, so now we're here in our month, December, the end of the year, we make it through. Um, And another rough up and down month, which is 
Um, we did get Steve Hobbs um, appointed into Secretary of State because Kim Wyman left um, to the Biden administration. So we have finally have a Democrat um, in all of the statewide seats. Um, Steve will have to run again this upcoming year, but it's good to see a Democrat in that in that role. Um, U.S. hits 800,000 deaths from COVID. Those numbers are continuing to go up, and I think we need to remind people um, that this is far from over. Omicron variant um, reaches the United States, and that is what I think we're all sort of in the midst of right now. Um, we had Reagan Dunn, who had just re, um, was reelected to county council, decides and declares that he is running against Kim Schreier for the congressional seat, says he's going to get his mom's seat back, um, and, uh, and um, also says that he wouldn't vote for accountability for the insurrection. So went full red meat. Great job. Good job, Reagan. Um, then the good news factor, uh, Stacey Abrams declares that she's running for Georgia governor. Um, I know that that will be a hot, exciting race for most of us um, uh, this next year. And then um, just uh, uh, just last week, um, Shama Sawant survived the recall um, only by a couple hundred votes, but did survive it. Um, and then um, up in the 44th um, to replace Steve Hobbs, we now have a full um, all black delegation. Um, John Lovick is now the new state senator. Um, Representative April Berg is still there and then um, newly elected representative Brandy Donahue. So that is something that is really exciting to end on. Um, uh, Will, any last thoughts on this um, wrapping up this year? Yeah, I'll just take a moment of personal privilege to just try to, you know, yet again, scream at every possible uh, candidate, elected official and reporter out there. Please stop doing election night interviews. It's pointless. Stop with your pre-writes that get published and then look stupid two days later. And yet somehow no one ever is held accountable for the nonsense that they say. There are a couple of people in particular who know that I'm talking to them. Um, and we should just wait until we have all the votes. Like, this is not new. We've seen this over several elections now. Like, just enough already. Like, yep. enough. Yep. Yep. And let's, like, look into the Seattle op-ed, like, opinion folks do, because they've been declaring victory uh, long before election results come in. Um, yes, well, my friend, Will, it has been wonderful. You and I have spent much of this past year uh, doing this podcast with our buddy Stefan and talking about the issues and everything that's going on. It's been a joy to get to recap this past year. It's been a wild one. Um, and it's been, but it's been good to be in this work with you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me today. Um, we're going to have uh, coming up. We're going to have uh, just a few remarks with my buddy, Yuan Tao, who's the chair of the King County Young Democrats, but for everyone, um, thank you. And let's uh, stick with it in 2022. Um, we've got some good victories. We should be proud of from the Biden administration. Um, we did get some good wins and we need to just keep remembering that and remembering that we need to talk about the positives as well as the reality um, when we talk about how we try to keep um, good Democrats into seats for the midterms and also flip some of these seats um, in 2022. So thank you, Will. Of course. Happy New Year. It's Happy been holiday. it's been a pleasure, you know, getting to be in this work with you the entire year, Shasti. You know, it's been a made a dark year uh, all the brighter. Thank you. I'm so excited that we have with us today Yuan Tao, who is the chair of the King County Young Democrats and has been such an amazing partner uh, to us with King County Democrats uh, for this last year, but even before that. 
Um, as we were just discussing, it's been quite the year. Um, Yuan, how do you feel about like the highs and lows of this past year? I know for me, one of my big highs and one of my big um, favorite moments of them this past year was our Friday night bounce party that we did on Friday night of election week. It was so fun to do that with you. And um, it was really nice to get the community back together and celebrate the really awesome progressive wins that we that we did have, um, even in sort of a crazy cycle. But yeah, how was how has your year been? What do you think? I I definitely think that the Friday night bounce party was incredible. I think that it's been, I think that something that we've learned through the years is that um, progressives do vote, but they do vote late. <laughs> so it's not good to judge by by just what happens on the first day. So that was great. Um, I think that the highs have been high, but the lows have been particularly low. Uh, I know that we started out the year with um, some frankly shocking events. And then, um, as, but I think by that time we were already feeling a lot of exhaustion. So in terms of responding to those events, it's just been sort of relentless through the year. And um, I know that we want to focus on the highs, but I think we, it's also important to acknowledge that it's been, it's been a really rough year, I think. And especially for young people who are expecting, you know, there are a lot of things culturally that we expect to happen to us when we're young, you know, um, and I'm talking about like graduations, you know, I know there are a lot of people that are start, starting college for the first time this year, and we, we expect a certain college experience that just have been robbed from, from us as young people. And I think that it's really important to acknowledge that that is, that is not just rough, right? It's affecting all of our mental health. So Absolutely. I think that's important. Yeah, I mean, I think well. you're right. We, we, we talked earlier about how, you know, January was like a month of inauguration and insurrection and that really is sort of like those two pillars have really played out where you know we've had some exciting wins both nationally and locally but we've also had um some really low lows and as we head into 2022 um certainly it feels like it's it's a rough period i know that i've been hearing from a lot of people that have been really depressed um as you know omicron it looks like it's you know really serious and um we're heading into year three of the pandemic and then you know, mansions torpedoed um, the Build Back Better Act today. And um, and I think you're right, but I think that's particularly yeah. hard on young people when, you know, it should be a hopeful sort of opportunity where you're looking forward to these milestones personally and individually, but also, you know, the world should be open and there should be all these opportunities. And that's really hard to hold on to that hope when it just feels like right. there's so much, so much that's painful and dark and hard for sure. Yeah. What would your message be, you know, as we're wrapping up the year, we're going into the holiday season, what would your message be for, you know, King County residents, particularly young people? I would say that 2022, despite Omicron, I would say that I'm actually very hopeful about 2022. I think that there are a lot of things that have given me a lot of pause politically. Um, I think that there are a lot of, I think we can expect, frankly, a lot of loss in 2022. But I would also say that that's just how things are. And I think that 
there's a difference between losses in the pandemic where we can't connect with each other, right? We, we see each other. I mean, you and I right now are over Zoom, right? Like, I think that, frankly, that makes it difficult to, to connect in a way that, I mean, just think about how different it is the way that we're talking now versus at the Friday Night Bounce Party where we are in person and being able to support each other in person. And so with, frankly, the, the wonder that is our vaccine, even though there are undoubtedly more COVID variants in in the future, our ability to get together in person will be incredible, will give us the strength, you know, to to get through this because um, that's just how life is in terms of losses. But what we'll, (laughs) this is going to sound super cheesy, but what we'll always have is like being able to get together with each other. And I think that that will that is so hopeful for me. It gives me so much hope. Like for example, uh, just last night, the King County Young Dems had our holiday party and it was it was so incredible to see each other and to, um, to just get together and just have fun together. It was so different from the rest of the year. So I, I guess I'm being a little pessimistic in that I think that there will be losses in the future, but I'm also extremely hopeful that we can, we can get through that. I think you're right. The last couple of years have really um, put into the spotlight, how important human connection is and having friends and a support system and, you know, family and all of that, like how really valuable and the family is what you make. And um, that as hard as things can get, you know, when we have each other and we remind each other of that, you know, that, that we matter, you know, that it really, that, it, that um, those friendships are real and that they matter. And um, I hope that, you know, folks uh, get some time to really spend some time with family and friends as safely as we can. And um, that they really, we get to remind ourselves of what really is important as we head into the next year. We're going to need each other through 2022 for sure. Um, so thank you so much, Yuan. I really appreciate you making the time and coming on um, and, with that, I think y'all, we will sign off um, for the end of the year. And thank you. Have a wonderful holiday season. Happy New Year. And we'll see you in 2022. Bye, y'all. And that'll do it. If you would like to see a video recording of this or any of our podcasts, head over to facebook.com slash indivisible podcast. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast.gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at IndivisiblePod. Special thanks to Lori Caldwell. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.